Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we are talking about how to prepare to be alcohol free with Jean McCarthy, who has been on this podcast twice before. She is a writer, a podcaster, and a recovery advocate who works tirelessly to help others find their most authentic life. Jean encourages a patchwork approach to recovery in which growth and change is supported by using a variety of resources that suit the individual. As the producer and the host of the Bubble Hour podcast, which I know many of you have listened to for years and years and years, Jean has shared the recovery stories of hundreds of guests and has learned the value of continually assessing and improving one's own recovery bubble. She shares her personal reflections on her own recovery in her blog, Unpickled, which documents her journey out of alcohol addiction from her very first day of sobriety in 2011. And since then, she has helped thousands of women find their way to freedom from alcohol. Jean received the 2017 Hope Award at the She Recovers New York City Conference in recognition of her contribution to the recovery movement. Jean is the author of three books, including her latest release, Unpickled, Prepare to be Alcohol-Free, and that's what we're talking about today. So Jean, welcome. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, it's so good to see you again, and I love having you on the podcast because what you talk about in your books is so practical and so actionable and so free of judgment. And that's the exact approach I love to take. So when I heard you were writing this book, I was like, first, amazing. It's so needed. But also, I really wanted to have you on to talk about it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I really think that there's a lot of aspects about quitting alcohol that we think we know when we're in that 
phase of contemplation before we quit. And we're kind of wondering, do we have a problem? Do we want to quit? And all of a sudden, we're kind of a victim of all of our stereotypical thinking, like every movie we've seen, every episode of Mom, which is a great show. I love it. But uh, it's not necessarily a real holistic picture of what our options are. And so I think what I really learned through a decade of listening to people tell their stories of recovery and podcasts like yours and mine and through blogging and connecting online was that there was so much more to it and so many more ways to come at this and define ourselves. And I really think we have to know what all of our choices are so that we can choose how we want to approach quitting drinking, seeing ourselves and and planning what that's going to look like. And the time to do that is before you quit. So I thought there's, we need a resource that you can read then because we all know when you're thinking about it, you want resources. And yeah, I was really excited to create something that was kind of the book I wished I had when I was thinking about quitting. Yeah. And so many of the books out there I love, but they're also memoirs, which is amazing to hear someone else's story. And it can be um, sometimes confusing when you're like, well, I'm not as bad as them, or I didn't do the same things they did, or my life is different than theirs. And one of the things I like about this book is you really help people do an internal journey and not have sort of a one size fits all about how you need to label yourself or how you need to find support. Because you're right. I mean, I think the average person spends between four and 10 years thinking about quitting drinking or worrying about their drinking before they actually do it. I know I wondered whether I had a serious problem with alcohol five years before I stopped drinking for the first time and eight years before I eventually stopped for hopefully the very last time six years ago. So I love that you're using this time before we take the leap to really help you get your mindset right and kind of get prepared. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when we are going from the discovery or the preparation contemplation phase to action, to the action of quitting drinking, it's hard to build momentum because if we are in a cycle of addiction or in a trajectory of addiction, it keeps pulling us back. So anytime, you know, for me, it was kind of a daily cycle. Like I would be excited to quit drinking in the morning. And by the afternoon, my cycle of addiction was pulling me back to that drink, that afternoon drink. And these little actions, there's 49 chapters in this book. And each one is one thing that you can do before you quit drinking to help set yourself up for success afterwards. And so in doing those things, it gives you something to do that day that helps you build momentum and eventually, you know, cumulative effect of that momentum can help push you into action or propel you into action. And then when you're there, you have all of these, you know, strategies in place that you've been working on. So that was my mindset, you know, as I created it. And I really think when we are drinking problematically, whether it is technically an addictive substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder, whether or not we have officially, you know, medically entered that spectrum, or if it's just that we have a habit that we're not feeling good about, it it doesn't really matter to me where you fall on that spectrum. What matters is like what you do about it. And my experience was that the longer I waited, the further I got, the more I drank, the harder it was to quit. So the more that my journey down that path progressed, the harder it got. But the other thing that happened was that the farther I felt separated from myself. And like you said, when you're reading memoirs, you're kind of, well, I I always say this, I might've said this in previous times I've been on your show, but addiction looks for differences and recovery looks for similarities. So when we're reading a memoir and we're saying, well, I'm not like this person and well, I can't be addicted because I don't do that. Really, that's our addiction convincing us to keep drinking. That's how I think it. You can kind of label it how you want, but it's the part of your brain that wants you to keep drinking, the the part of your brain that's wired for homeostasis, right? Like keep everything the same. This is working. This is what's keeping us alive. Keep doing it. So it's trying to convince us all the time to keep drinking. And 
we look at a, a recovery memoir when we're maybe a little bit further down the road and a little bit more open, we probably will see all the things that we connect with because our recovery is finding the similarities. So with this book, it's really an invitation for the reader to look inside themselves, which is something that I think a lot of us stop doing when we're drinking in a way that we're not comfortable with. And we look outside of ourselves for definitions of what does it mean to quit drinking when what I want you to do and what I invite you to do with this book is to look inside of yourself and see what's in there. Like just just a little gentle like hello inside. Who's in there? What do you want? How do you feel about this drinking thing that you're doing? What do you want it to look like to not be a drinker? We talk about labels. We talk about language. I didn't quit drinking for a long time because I did not want the label of alcoholic. And so I kept drinking, which makes no sense at all. And so when we really talk about language, we just discuss the fact that, you know, you don't have to adopt any labels you don't want to. You can choose what this looks like for you and you can control the language around it. And I think that's an eye opener for a lot of people. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really good because when you were talking about the idea of comparing and saying, I'm not that bad as other people, that is something that stops people from taking a look at their drinking. And at the same time, you said, you know, it stopped you from taking a break from drinking and really looking at it. And yet the longer you went on drinking, the harder it was to pull yourself out. So it's sort of this chicken and the egg when you think only people who stop drinking have a quote unquote real problem with it or absolutely can't drink or have some kind of a huge bottom that they need to pull themselves out of. And what I love about your book is you do go through it in a really simple step-by-step way that is not at all intimidating. I mean, your chapters are, you know, they start with find your why words document patterns, adopt your preferred labels, down to, you know, consult a mental health professional and book a physical. I love that. That's super important. As well as, you know, going into stuff like, you know, make daytime plans, celebrate mornings, fill your freezer, close the kitchen. I mean, that's so practical and good. And yet, you know, filling the freezer and celebrating mornings and closing the kitchen, that's the opposite of labeling yourself as a quote unquote alcoholic or questioning whether you have a real problem or if you're bad enough. It's just like, hey, here's ways to, you know, prepare to not only stop drinking, but like stop making it this huge thing in your life, this huge backpack of rocks that you're thinking about constantly as a worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think we think that it's going to be, we're thinking all about the drinking, right? When we quit, we're thinking of all the times that we're drinking, but what we don't always think about are the really practical things that end up becoming some of the stumbling blocks that people stumble on. And, you know, we hear the same stories over and over again, where people are like, they're quitting, they're doing great. Maybe they have a week or two weeks 
And then they're just tired and they just don't feel like cooking supper. Like that alone can be enough to trigger them or to make it hard to keep going. So that's why some of those things that I recommend are really practical, like get some good, easy meals into your freezer ahead of time. Cause you're probably going to feel kind of fluey at first, kind of, kind of garbagey. And also for a lot of us, the kitchen is where we drank. I know I came home from work, poured a drink, took my coat off after that, maybe. <laughs> and Me then, too. I've done that. <laughs> and then started cooking. So cooking and drinking were, you know, the cooking was the excuse to be in the kitchen drinking, right? And they were always connected. And I just like, that was my drinking headquarters was my kitchen counter. And that was the time of day where I did a lot of it. So that's why I think it's so practical to plan ahead for easy meals. Yeah. Um, because for the first little while, it is going to be hard. And, um, and these little, these little stumbling blocks are the things we need to think about. Another thing I talk about is just, um, rehearsing some answers of how to say no, thank you, or of how to order uh, a drink that's not alcoholic, because we have so much muscle memory, you know, when a waiter comes up and says, what will you have? Or maybe they already have a bottle of wine open, depending on the dining scenario you're in. Sometimes, you know, if you're at an event, there will be open wine on the table and a server will just come around and fill glasses. And to practice saying no, thank you um, is so hard because we're so used to it. Sometimes the wine is poured before you even can get the words out to say no. And then people think, well, there it is. I guess I'll drink it. You know, I guess and you're not like today. a deer in the headlights, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And so something as simple as that. And if you, pr- if you practice these things ahead of time, if you practice saying, oh, none for me, or you know what, I'm, I'm the, I'm the driver tonight. I'm not um, drinking or whatever. Just if you practice some sentences and I actually list some out to practice. If you've said it once, it's easier to say it a second time. If you've said it 10 times, it's really easy to recall it in a situation rather than to create it in a situation. So like you said, the deer in the headlights, that's because your brain is scrambling to invent something. But if you've already invented it and rehearsed it, then you just need to recall it. And that comes a lot faster. I really love the concept of powerless versus empowered. Can you tell me about that? So the reason I felt this was important to include, and I included it fairly early in the in the book as well, is that also for me, when I was contemplating quitting drinking, I looked at the 12 steps. I knew there was a program called AA and I knew it had 12 steps, but I didn't know what those 12 steps were. So I Googled them and this first step said, We admitted we were powerless over alcohol. And I thought, well, I'm not powerless. You know, I still have, I still felt myself having a little power because I could still kind of tell that I was making a decision to drink every day. I felt wrongly that I couldn't go to one of those meetings and get help because I wasn't powerless. And it turned out that's not exactly how it works. (laughs) That's really not what that means. But the question is interesting. So, you can harness the concept of powerlessness by saying, you know what, when there's alcohol around, it runs me. I can't say no to it. I can't not have it. And once I do, all bets are off. So, you know, I don't have power over alcohol. That's that mindset. And if you are, if you're quitting using that mindset, you are someone who does really well by handing over the control to an external locus of control. So you could say it's the rules of the group, or it's my higher power, or it's this diet that I'm on, whatever. You have some external framework that gives you the direction not to drink. The empowered approach is to say, there's a part of me that still feels like it has some control. So I'm going to explore that and nurture it and learn how to exert that power that I'm not currently exerting. So a program uh, to quit drinking that uses an internal locus of control or an empowerment model would be smart recovery. And a lot of people haven't heard of that. So it's also an abstinence-based recovery program, and it does use meetings and group support. But rather than saying, you're powerless and you need this framework to hold you up, which is the 12-step model and it works great for lots of people. The, the smart model says, you know, we're going to identify your triggers. We're going to build your muscles. We're going to get you some support. We're going to use this framework to help you harness your internal 
locus of control and build that muscle and take back your power that you're not fully utilizing right now. And so what I encourage people to do is just to be aware of those two ways to look at this. Because again, if you're looking at a model that doesn't appeal to you and you're like, nope, that's not me. So I'm going to keep drinking. Well, that doesn't help you. What you need to know is if that doesn't appeal to you, there's another way. Let's explore that other way and use it because your goal is to quit drinking, not to find excuses not to. And then it's good to know too, that if you are down that path and it's really rubbing you the wrong way, or you just can't get it, Hey, let's try this other approach. Maybe that's a better fit for you. Yeah. And the the main thing to keep in mind, and that's kind of why I bring on so many guests with so many different perspectives, is that there is no one way to decide that drinking isn't working for you, to take a break from it, to see if you feel better, to decide to quit completely for the long term, which I personally think is the way easier way to go rather than attempting to keep moderation in your life. But most people don't start out that way. I mean, this is why your book is preparing to be alcohol-free because they can't imagine it. And I don't know anyone who has quit in the long term who has consciously or unconsciously not tried to moderate and stopped and tried again for a very long time. So I think that's really great that you advise learning about new programs, trying things. And if it doesn't click with you or it turns you off, know that there are other ways to go. I mean, some people quit with yoga. Some people quit with mindfulness. Some people quit with a coach. Some people quit with a program. Some people, you know, all the things, right? It's not one with a therapist. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety, and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. One of your chapters says, observe the daily click. What is that process? Mm -hmm. So again, it's it's that invitation to get to know yourself a little better, which is super uncomfortable for a lot of us. And to just pay attention, what is happening in your day that makes you decide it's time for a drink? When does that occur? What triggers the switch to drinking? And for some people, that's an everyday thing. And sometimes it's in multiple times a day. For some people, it's maybe sporadically and it's hard to identify. So what happens when you feel your resolve change? When do you go from having a normal day or to not being interested in alcohol or to being sure you're going to quit, whatever the the sort of lull looks like? When do you feel that click where you start thinking about alcohol, where you start wanting it, planning it, um, preparing for it? When, When does it start to enter into your mind? So some people may say it's never gone. It's always there. And that would be pretty advanced, pretty late stage, I would say, substance use disorder. 
I'm not an expert, so I don't want to diagnose anybody. But I mean, if you're always thinking about it, if you're always feeling like you need it, probably there's quite a heavy level of dependency there. But I think for most people that are wrestling with it in this way, there's sort of a, a, a flip where you start out feeling one way about it. And all of a sudden, it all goes out the window and you feel yourself click. The whole goal of this, um, this book, there's, there's no chapter that says, here's how to moderate. Here's how to cut back. Here's how to do any of that. All of these things are external to the actual process of quitting. They're, they're all the things you set up around yourself. So just paying attention is such an important part of that. Typically, what you might start to understand is that, gosh, you know what? It's every day at about 1.30. That's what it was for me. I would spend all morning saying, today's the day, today's the day, I'm going to quit, today's the day. And then by lunchtime, I would be like, oh, maybe not because it was a really good day or, oh, maybe not because I couldn't find a parking spot. Now I'm in a bad mood. Like there was always a reason. And then I would drink that afternoon. Then I would spend the afternoon thinking about, well, do I have alcohol at home? Am I going to pick it up on the way home? You know, how am I going to do this today? What's it going to look like? And then I might still be thinking, no, I'm not going to. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. I might be going back and forth, but I was definitely starting to tip in the direction of drinking. And then, you know, by three, four o'clock, it was just, it was going from a, an idea to a strong urge slash obsession. So when I started to recognize that, you know, what I, what I'm seeing is a pattern and what that pattern can relate back to is actually withdrawal. I mean, that's really what is going on if you are in a pattern of daily alcohol use. So in my case, I was drinking every afternoon, evening, right up till bedtime, sleeping through the night. And, you know, it's about eight to 12 hours later is when those first little hints of withdrawal start to appear. And we don't think of it as withdrawal though. You know, for me, I was in my early forties at the time I was thinking menopause. I was thinking I didn't sleep well, aches and pains, all of these things. But really it is the, it is the fact that your body is starting to want alcohol again. And as the day goes on, that urge gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So when I think of it as in terms of, oh my gosh, that daily click was the start of withdrawal. All of a sudden that awareness thinks makes me think, well, that would have made it a whole lot easier to quit if I understood that that little click I was feeling every day was really a symptom of withdrawal yeah. because withdrawal is a scary word. And it, and, and it's hard to ignore that word when you think of it in those terms. Yeah, absolutely. And there are all these physical reasons why you crave alcohol. I mean, you know, the, the substance is working is designed to pull you back into it and to have taking another drink be what restores you to your new quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're, you're trying to just hold off withdrawal, right? Your body's trying to feel okay. Yeah. And uh, I think that's another thing that's kind of a conundrum is like, we tend to think of addiction as being fun, you know, like, or as people that are uh, using alcohol in an addictive way that they are partying. Well, it's not fun. It is not fun managing withdrawal symptoms. It is not fun trying to juggle intake and stay sober enough to drive and to do all the things you have to do and, you know, to hide the bottles. And, you know, it's a management problem dealing with all of the uh, side effects and external factors and fallout of drinking all the time. I mean, it's a pain in the butt. My life is so much simpler. It's simpler, but just, I mean, I used to feel like, I mean, I could feel every blood vessel in my brain throbbing during hangover, just feeling so queasy. And I mean, that type of sickness is brutal. And I used to go through it. I mean, I sort of had a low grade daily hangover because I drank every night, you know, and I didn't even recognize it. I mean, I knew I kind of felt like shit, but I didn't realize how much until I stopped drinking that I was like feeling ill every day. But then on the nights that I would go out and like, quote unquote, party the next day or that night, I mean, so bad. And I would throw up red wine. Oh my God, there's nothing worse than like being a 37 year old woman kneeling by a toilet, throwing up red wine when your kids are in the next room. Like 
way to take it away from being glamorous. I know. I know. Oh, my heart just feels so sad for you when I, when I think of that and, and what it steals from us, yeah, I mean, you know, the time and the, just the wellness. I mean, just enjoying our life. And I went through yeah. my old Facebook uh, statuses. I had this urge the other day of, gosh, you know, I've been on Facebook since 2007. I, I bet you all those old statuses are there. I really better go clean those up. Cause you know, maybe there's something there that wouldn't ring quite right these days. I was shocked when I went back to, uh, I quit drinking in 2010. So like those, the three years before I quit drinking, every status was how bad I felt. I have a cold or I have a headache today. I mean, cause we were still learning how to use Facebook back then too, right? So, so we were po- posting like what we ate for breakfast and how we felt that kind of thing. Uh, anyway, I was just surprised at how often I was sick because now I'm 54. I'm rarely ever sick, rarely yes. ever sick. So uh, I, I have, you know, the occasional headache, not in the morning when I wake up and not for seven days straight, you know, it's just, it's amazing how we convince ourselves that this sort of low grade, as you say, this low grade hangover is just normal aging or something. We think, oh, this is, this is how everybody feels awful in the morning. It's part of getting old. No, it's not. It's not. It's really tough on the body. At this point, sort of like, I don't hate those Facebook memories that pop up because they kind of remind me, but they are cringeworthy. Of course, I always played it off. But I mean, every St. Patrick's Day, one pops up where I had posted something that was like hashtag mom fail. You know, Hank, you know, I forgot to pick out the gold coins off the leprechaun track that trap that my son had put out. He was five. And I was like, thank God for daycare for saving the day. Well, funny, right? And everybody's like, oh, I've done that. No problem. Ha ha. The truth is I had drank so much the night before I completely forgot that I was supposed to do that. He came into my room. My husband was gone hysterically in tears as a five-year-old because the leprechaun hadn't come. And I rolled over just with a brutal hangover being like, I am the worst mother that ever lived. And yet what I post on Facebook and comes up every year is like, ha ha, you know, playing off like I'm just so busy or, you know, this mom thing is so hard, but I knew and pictures of me and all my girlfriends in Whistler as like a mom's night away. It was Mother's Day weekend. We looked super fancy going out to dinner in Whistler. Well, what happened that night is I drank so much that I don't remember anything, but apparently I was in tears asking everyone if they thought I had a drinking problem. And that, then I drank again the next night and didn't remember that either. So some of those Facebook memories pop up and I cringe, but I also am like, oh, you know, I feel like so much compassion for that girl who was like deep in withdrawal and also trying so hard to overcompensate. I mean, the next day, the degree to which I tried to pretend that there was no issue with my girlfriends when I'd been in tears the night before and asking them if they thought I had a drinking problem, like that is, is miserable for what should have been my fabulous weekend away, you know, from my child. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a process. I was like looking at my phone when you were talking because one of my clients texted me yesterday and she's like a hundred days sober and feeling amazing and all the good stuff. But she sent me this screenshot from Facebook that said me, Facebook, hey, remember when you were a full-blown alcoholic spiraling out of control? You don't really have to do this. Facebook, LOL, here's a memory from 2013. I'm like, uh, yikes, right? Yeah, right. Uh, we, and we can we can harness those memories if they help us to stay the course and, and go the direction we want. But we can also release them. You know, if it's not helpful to keep seeing that, I think we really need to give ourselves permission to say adios to that. And I like this expression, release with gratitude. So I I actually talk about it in the book when it comes to let's have a look at your friends, you know, let's do a little uh, honest look at the people you're surrounding yourself with right now. And are there some friendships that maybe it's time to release with gratitude or to understand that when you quit drinking, those friendships that are built on, uh, you know, 
mutual drunkenness or supposed closeness or, you know, if your friends were telling you, you're fine. No, you don't have a drinking problem. If you have a drinking problem, I have a drinking problem. You know, maybe they're keeping you close because you're worse than them. So (laughs) it makes them look good. Everyone likes a foil, I've heard said. So um, there, there can be these things that run their course. And sometimes it's the people we surround ourselves with or the commitments that we make things we um, annually get involved in, maybe, you know, putting on a certain party or hosting a certain event or being part of a committee or something. Um, But sometimes it's just the memories that we allow to keep coming back to us. And so um, that those, those reminders from Facebook are a good reminder too, that like, if they empower you or if they help you on your journey, great. If they bring back shame, I'm not sure that's helpful, you know, that maybe we could release with gratitude and blow a kiss to that girl that we used to be and send her into digital oblivion as we hit the delete button and let Facebook give us something else to remember on those days. Yeah. And I think it's okay to edit your life, to edit the people you're around. You don't have to get rid of them, but you do get to choose what influences and what energy comes into your life. And In Atomic Habits, which I love that book by James Clear, he really talks about both your physical environment, that's really important. And he talks about this with all habits, whether it's working out or how you eat or whether you write a book or whatever it is, your physical environment, setting that up so you're not like rowing a boat upstream, but rather sort of putting a canoe in where you flow with the river but also your social environment because you want to join groups and surround yourself with people where the behavior you want to adopt is in alignment and celebrated by the people you surround yourself with. They also have that. And so, you know, that's why I love, you know, some of these sober groups. I know we originally met, I was a super fan of the the bubble hour. I honestly, nine years ago, went walking, listening to the bubble hour for hours. Um, It was the first sober podcast I ever discovered. And honestly, the only one I knew about for about four years. So hugely inspirational. But then we're both members of this group called the Booze Free Brigade. I have a guide on my site of how to find it. If you're interested, it's my favorite place on the internet. But it's you know, in terms of your social environment and people who celebrate the behavior you want to adopt, when you post that you have seven days or 30 days, like they're giving you a virtual parade. And when you post that you want to drink and are asking for support, they will give you all the reasons and cheering on and I'm here with you tonight and what show are you watching that you need that sort of social support to become the person you want to be as opposed to oh my God, I really want to drink. Well, you should drink. You're an adult. It's not that bad. You deserve a bottle of wine. Like if your friend circle is not supporting the choice you want, they can sort of unconsciously or consciously subtly sabotage who you want to be. Yeah, I think that's true. And the the fact is, as we build our lives around alcohol, we curate friendships based on that. So it takes time to correct the course. And when I really thought about friends that I had sort of allowed to wither on the vine, it was people that didn't drink like I drank or people that just made me feel bad about how I drank. And they were still people I liked and was interested in, but they didn't fit my life because my life became more and more and more about supporting a constantly having a glass of wine in my hand socially. So it's really, I think it's great to kind of look through your friends and think, who have I allowed to kind of fade away? And that is a great person to phone and go for a walk for, because you do need to rebuild your social life in other ways around things that aren't drinking. And then also to build those sober connections, those sober supports, like we were talking about, Uh, those are really important to build. And they're really quite fun to build. I mean, I had no idea how that was going to help. I I think I was, I really hid in my drinking. And so I, at first at least was prepared to hide in my recovery and the internet just wasn't having it. I mean, I was blogging on day one as unpickled. That was going to be my thing, but I was insisting on staying anonymous. But what I didn't realize was people would read my blog and comment and give me encouragement. 
And it was like the most beautiful thing to feel that support. I had no idea. And then a few weeks down the road, or even probably a few days later, I don't know, didn't take long before the first person that came along and commented on my blog, I'm on day one and you're helping me. And I kind of thought, oh my God, someone else is looking at me like I'm this big hot mess and I'm only a few days sober and that's enough to help someone else. Well, then I felt like I had people ahead of me pulling me forward, but I also had people behind me kind of pushing me forward because they, I was inspiring them. And it was this beautiful kind of, what would you call it? Like you kind of get swept along in this stream of support. You take your place, you know, and you, you kind of huddle in and we take strength from each other, but it also feels really good to know that someone is inspired by you, is inspired by your one measly, crappy, sweaty day of sobriety that you think that you are not doing well on, like someone else is going to look at that and think you are an absolute hero. I mean, we all think that, but it doesn't feel like it when you're the one who's struggling through that day. And then when someone says like, oh my gosh, you're my inspiration today, it can just give you that little boost. So finding those online supports are so amazing and so helpful. And that's something I really encourage in this book is for people to explore some of those ways. And I don't get super specific. I'm glad you mentioned that you have directions uh, on your site as to how to find the BFB and other support groups. I find that there's so many and they're always changing. So uh, I wanted this book to be evergreen and to really be something that, you know, you could read it 10 years from now and it would still be fairly relevant. So um, I didn't get specific on that, but really there's so many ways to connect and explore in person, online, uh, through groups, through anonymous groups, through non-anonymous groups, through social platforms. I mean, it's just really so great. And I think it's good to have, you know, start with something that you're comfortable with, but I think it's good to build lots of different ways because when I did finally make some in-person friends and make some in-person connections, holy smokes, it just knocked my socks off. I was so excited. I had no idea I'd been missing out on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think you're right. Like we curate our friends to surround ourselves with drinkers. I mean, you know, even your spouse or who you date and your best friends and people at work, right? People who went to happy hour, they were the people I hung out with. And when you stop drinking, you need to add at the very least people to your social circle where that is not the focus. And I love finding people who are on the completely alcohol-free path too. And online is a great place to start. I also started, you know, with the people I worked out with at 5.30 in the morning, this group of moms, because people who drink don't usually work out at 5.30 in the morning. Now I did, but the rest of them weren't quite, you know, the bottle of wine the night, the night before. So it really wasn't the most important thing in their life. They were doing... 5Ks and, you know, all these other stuff. And so they encourage me, you know, if they're all like, hey, we're all signing up for this 5K, what, you know, do you want to come? I was like, yeah, you know, that's the definition of surrounding yourself with people who the person you want to be is what's, you know, what's prominent in what they do. And you talk about in your book, finding alcohol-free role models. And I want to let you know that you were one of those for me. I mean, absolutely and completely. When I met you, I was fangirling, you know, even online when we talked on the bubble hour. But how do you suggest finding some of those alcohol-free role models? I mean, I know Instagram now, there's so many people who are out and proud and celebrating the fact they're alcohol-free without labels. Yeah. So I think you look for the people that have what you want. And sometimes... um... Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course 
that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step -step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one -on -one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step -step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Sometimes it's a little, it's a feeling you get when you're around them. I think people that I've always been really intrigued by people that felt very comfortable with themselves because I never felt comfortable with myself. I thought I always had to be different than I was. You know, I thought I always had to um, correct myself that I was just in whatever my instincts were, were intrinsically wrong. So I had to somehow govern them. I, I had to fix them. Um, so to, so for me, even as a little kid, I was always kind of intrigued by people who seemed really at home with themselves and really honest and authentic. And so when I started looking for people to kind of look up to, that authenticity was something I knew I really wanted in my life. I was tired of not having it. And to the thought of having that, I mean, really, when I think about recovery, Casey, I, it's not just about not drinking. I feel like recovering authenticity and being really true to myself, man, that's, that is the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Like really that has changed my life to be just to feel authentically me and to know that I'm okay is really great. So looking for people that have what you want and then asking them if you can connect, asking if they'll be a resource person for you. I have a chapter on sober um, role models in terms of, you know, celebrities and following people on Instagram. And that's one tool is kind of having those public figures that you can attach to and kind of follow and feel that there's someone to look up to, follow their work, that kind of thing. Um, and I, I suggest that with a bit of caution in a way because they're human, right? And they, they, they may disappoint you and, or they may, they may struggle and then you, depending on where you're at, you know, is that permission for you to struggle? If they struggle, is your addictive thinking going to use that to leverage against you? You know, this is why I think a lot of recovery groups don't have a spokesperson. That's why they encourage anonymity relative to the group in something like Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, it's not because recovery needs to be a big secret. It's because it's a, it's too much to put on any one person to be the, the poster child for not drinking or recovering in general, right? So there's a, there's a bit of caution with that. So I sort of think, hold that as one tool, but I really encourage looking for people in your day-to-day -day life that you like, you know, is Aunt Mary really cool? Like, don't we all have one really cool aunt that we want to be like? Um, it might not necessarily be that it's someone who doesn't drink. It could be someone who's really good at setting boundaries. Could be someone who's really good at making other people comfortable, right? So we kind of identify those things that we want and pay attention to how other people get them. And if we're really bold, ask them for help in getting them. And then I also talked to about building an inner advocacy committee, which I think is kind of a fun chapter, which is where we, the previous chapter, we kind of identify our inner critic voices and, and release them or give them a night off. And instead, we also focus on building an inner advocacy committee. And we start to take these people, these these role models that we have or these um, 
people who, who from our past who have been really empowering to us. And we kind of tuck them away in our, in our mind as someone to check in with. So, you know, it's when you're having a moment and you're not sure what to do, maybe you can check in with your inner advocacy committee and, and think like, okay, what would Aunt Mary do, you know, and what would my little league baseball coach have to say about that? And you can picture them encouraging you and giving you a high five for doing the right thing, for leaving early from that party or for standing your ground or setting a boundary with your mother-in-law or something, you know? Yeah. I was, I was laughing when you were saying that because back in the day when I was first stopping drinking, um, for some reason there was this, you know, you get all those inside jokes and things like that. And there was this joke in the BFB, like, what would the BFB do? Like that was, you know, the joke, like when you're going out and one of the women there got those really um, inexpensive sort of rubber bracelets and she would send them to people if she was like, does anyone want these? And so I got one in the mail from her and it, it just said WWBFBD. And I would draw that. So it just cracked me up. And I also um, think that it's important. I love that question. Do you want what they have? Because even to ask about people who you're feeling pressure from and you're having a hard time saying no to, because I, you know, when I, as a people pleaser, and I consider myself a recovering people pleaser, getting better every day, um, there, my boss for a long time in corporate would, I would feel like I was constantly not measuring up to her and, or what she wanted from me. And I was like a straight A, like my pat on the head, want to please someone girl. And after I had stopped drinking, I got a lot better at saying, do I want what she has? And she was single, no kids, climbing the corporate ladder, incredibly set on managing up traveled all the time, you know, didn't even have a dog because she, you know, needed to focus on her career. And, you know, at the same time, I was like, do I want what she has? Because what she's asking me to do will lead me down the path of having her same life. And I was like, no, I actually want to be with my kids at the bus stop. I want to have a strong marriage, which for me, our marriage didn't work if I was on the road a lot. Like we were just pretty even in our support. I was a homebody. I quit drinking and loved my morning workouts. So being in a hotel 25% of the time, giving big presentations in New York and doing business dinners, that did not work for me not drinking. It was just, you know, I loved cuddling up with my cats and my kids and going to bed early. And so I was like, if I don't want what she has, I by definition had to disappoint her or else that I was going to lead a life that I actually didn't enjoy. And that actually helped me say no and be like, actually, I can't go on this business trip or I actually don't want to be promoted and move to New York, even though she's like, what the hell are you doing? Um, And at the same time, now I meet people who I think are really cool. And I'm really open about that. I'm like, oh my God, I love you. Can we be friends? And you will be shocked at how many people are like, yes, because it's really hard to make friends as an adult, but I've gotten so comfortable with it. I'm like, if you like someone, tell them, you know? Yeah, that's true. And I think those honest conversations are so helpful because it helps us think about what we want, vocalize what we want. So we're not swept along with it. Now, you may very well have been able to have a conversation with your colleague that said, I respect that you have the life you want. The life I'm trying to build, you know, has more work-life balance in it. So this is what I'm going for. And if you can present that with a lot of certainty, I think there's, there's, even if people disagree with you and say like, oh man, you're crazy. I wouldn't want that life. They can at least respect and understand why you're doing it that way. Yeah. But we don't know these things unless we decide them and tell them to ourselves and be really intentional about them. Uh, and I think that's true, whatever we're doing, like you say, you know, it might be regarding alcohol, it might be regarding work. For me, I had to make a lot of decisions around um, some of the creative things I do. So I used to do um, 
I have two albums of music from uh, a while back. Gosh, 15 years ago now when I used to do um, singer songwriter performances and I would, um, I just didn't know how not to do it because I was writing music and, and writing songs. And then what the heck do you do with them? I mean, you have to go and perform them or else no one hears them. And so I really did that even though I didn't like that part of it. And it took a lot from me. It was really hard in the end. I had to quit doing that because all of the angst and um, difficulty I went through just to get up on stage to do the part of it that I liked wasn't worth that. So we have to make some hard decisions sometimes about the life that we want. Yeah. And so one of the things you have in here is about creating evening rituals, which are so important and help so much when we're used to coming home or the clock hitting four or 5 PM and you drink, that's your entertainment. That's your activity. Um, so can you give some suggestions on even ri- evening rituals that are helpful? Sure. So I do, you know, I do take the tack with this book. The expectation is the person reading it maybe hasn't quit drinking yet, or is maybe in the early stages of quitting drinking, or maybe in the continually quitting, starting, quitting, starting thing. So what I don't want people to do is to create new rituals and incorporate alcohol into them and then get locked in on using alcohol during these rituals. So the idea is to start to build little bits of your day that don't include drinking that are delightful in their own. And so um, if you're going to make, for example, having a nice bath before you go to bed, part of your ritual, do that without alcohol. Don't include it in that. Let that be its own freestanding thing. Um, and that way, when you do quit drinking, you will have this thing that you do that you enjoy that doesn't include alcohol that, you know, you can do, and that you are building your muscle again to learn how to enjoy things. So what happens, the more we drink habitually, the more we learn to turn to alcohol every time we feel discomfort, right? It becomes our tool for everything. Sometimes we get to it where we're having it every time we feel an emotion, good, bad, anything. Uh, we apply alcohol to it. So you have to reteach yourself how to comfort without alcohol. And that means trying lots of different things. So yeah, I really like the idea of just doing things that are physically comforting. So lotion, stretching, fresh air, a walk. Um, I really enjoyed getting in my car in the evenings and going for a drive after I quit drinking because it was so novel to be sober at eight o'clock at night. (laughs) So starting to think of things you can do. And if you um, also, you can set up little comfort zones for yourself around the house. I love this idea of like setting up a nice little chair with um, a book and a blanket. And it's like a, a beautiful little inviting spot. And you can say to yourself, that's a no drinking zone. You know, I cannot, if I'm going to sit in that chair and read a chapter of, you know, chicken soup for the mother's soul or whatever, um, that's a no drinking zone. And that way, when you do quit drinking, you've got all of these places in your house that you're used to doing things that don't include alcohol. Because otherwise, what you find is you've built your whole life and your whole physical surrounding includes alcohol in every way. And then when you take the alcohol out of it, you miss it everywhere you look. Because it was, I used to sit here and watch TV and drink wine. I used to sit in bed and read a book and drink wine. I used to have wine in the tub. You know, there was wine everywhere. So you have to start creating some things that don't include it. I also love the idea of writing a gratitude list every night before bed. Um, Journaling is good, but I feel like journaling is so overused. It just becomes like white noise whenever people say it. Um, So be really specific about it. Personally, I have numerous different journals. So one is the journal that every time I write something in it, I rip that page out and I throw it away. Mm-hmm. You write really differently when you know that there's no chance anyone's ever going to read it. So there's that kind of a journal. There's a gratitude journal. There's a, a what happened today journal, you know? So just some of these lovely little things that you can build into your day that start to give yourself some time looking inward, doing an activity that passes your time and making yourself uh, familiar with different comforts. Yeah. I love that. And I know you have given us so many amazing tips 
on this podcast already, which I absolutely love. And I think you're going to help so many people, but we have just scratched the surface of all the good stuff in Jean's book. So if you love Jean, like I do, or you're contemplating quitting drinking, or you want to prepare for it. And I love that you talk about Jean preparing for it because it is a process and the more accessible you make it, So it is not this huge leap off a cliff, the easier it's going to be, definitely get this book. So it is by Jean McCarthy, the Unpickled, Prepare to be Alcohol-Free book. And Jean, where can people find that? It's available worldwide via Amazon. That's the easiest way to find it. Uh, So whatever country you're in, go to Amazon, look it up. You can get it as an ebook or as a print book. And you can also go to my website, jeanmccarthy.ca, and you'll see all my books are there as well. Perfect. And tell people what your other books are, because they're really helpful as well. So this Unpickled book, I'm writing a whole series of books in the Unpickled series. So my very first book um, was Unpickled Holiday Survival Guide. So that is a book that's specifically about tips and strategies for staying alcohol free during the holiday season. So around the, you know, the trifecta of Thanksgiving through to New Year's, there's just so many things that happen during that time. And they're really centered around alcohol and family, which can be triggering, right? So whenever, whatever time of year you quit, uh, eventually you're going to have to hit your first holiday season and it can be really, it can be really hard. So that first unpickled book, Holiday Survival Guide, guides you through that. Uh, Prepared to be Alcohol-Free is uh, the one that's out right now. And I also have a a book of poetry called The Ember Ever There. And that's uh, a collection of poems about recovery. And it's about the process of change. So some of the poems are about how it felt to be stuck in addiction. Some are about how it felt to kind of awaken and start to harness my healing of myself. And some are about all the joys of life after alcohol and life in a recovery community. And in that book, I did something interesting too. So I'm not a 12 stepper, but I always, when I would interview people on the podcast that are in AA, they had so much love and affection for the steps. And I came to have an appreciation for how the steps make sense. So I wrote a series of poems. There's one for each of those steps. And they're sort of the purpose of the step retold through a poem so that those of us that don't recover through a 12-step process can have a little bit of an understanding of what each of those steps are meant to do and how they could be meaningful for each of us in our journey outside of that program. And hopefully people that do use a 12-step program would um, respond to the love and affection that I try to reflect that they taught me that they have for each of those steps as well. Yeah. And I know you have interviewed so many women and people there there are men too on the bubble hour podcast and and you know if you haven't listened to some of those episodes please go back and do i'm going to in the show notes link to a couple of different things one i've been lucky enough to interview jean about the holiday survival guide book um when we were leading up to the holiday season that was a great conversation as well as about your beautiful book of poetry. So I'll put both of those interviews in the show notes. And I actually, my very, very first interview where I told my story about my drinking and everything that went along with it, how it feels after I quit and my coaching was on the bubble hour with Jean. So I will link to that interview as well. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. Thank you for sharing all of those links. And I do want to let people know if they're listening to this in the future, um, there's a third book in the Unpickled series that'll be coming out later in 2022. And that is Unpickled uh, Recovery DIY. So it's about that kind of patchwork mosaic mortarboard approach to recovery. And um, yeah, I'm really happy to share this with your listeners. And I'm really, I love that you were telling your story on my podcast. And I think people would have so much fun if they haven't heard it to go back and listen to us with you on the other side of the mic, uh, being interviewed by me. And yeah, um, and that was a bunch of years ago, I think it was three years ago now. So I was about three years alcohol free at the time. 
That's so cool. I love it. And I love how, you know, we, we build these friendships in this community and it's sort of like we link arms and we go through life together. And the, the thing I think is so cool is that, um, we, we understand with people we meet in these sort of support groups is that we're all in process. So, you know, we get to see people meet challenges and overcome them. And we get to see the change that people have over time. And I just think that's so cool and how the give and take of this community is just so lovely. And I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful to be part of it and honored to take my place among people that are holding the mic and holding space for each other and telling our stories and listening to stories and just, just supporting one another as part of this whole process. It's so, so beautiful. Yeah. You said that perfectly. So I'll just leave it there. Thank you so much, Jean. Thanks, Casey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.